little bit of a different message here today than what you might be used to. I hope that's all right with you. I've got to ask you all a question. I'm being serious. Is it all right? Do you give me permission to speak into your lives here today? Yeah? All right, good. Uh, anyone here proud or passionate to call themselves an Australian? Anyone proud to be Australian? Australia. Let's go get our Southern Cross tattoos. All right. Um, Australia. All right, let's see how much you know about your proud country. Anyone tell me what year did Captain Cook first get in on the boat? When did they first rock up? Who said that? Good job. Who's me? That fella down there. Nice beard, by the way. Um, they got here in 1770. They were looking for a country to dump all the English convicts. Um, but it took them 18 years before they lived here because they had to sail back to England, collect the prisoners, do the paperwork. So they never started living here till 1788. Now, all those years ago, they declared Australia to be a two-word Latin phrase. To this day, that word, or the two words, they continue to impact and shape our country. Anyone know what it was? Wow, you guys are smart. Terra nullius. Anyone know what it means? Sorry? Land without people. Uninhabited. Yeah, so they got here, right? They go, there's no one living here. It's empty. How deadly is this? It's like unclaimed lost property. We can have it. English play. Slight issue, there was people living here. So here's the next question. What do you reckon the English people's motivation? What was their reasoning? How did they think they could justify saying that a whole piece of land was uninhabited if, in fact, there were people here? Were they just being shifty? Oh, we'll say there's no one here. They won't catch us. We can have it. Is that why they did it? Uncivilised? That's a bit later on, but we'll get to that. Guys, what I'm going to tell you now, I want you to remember this starting point because we're going to keep coming back to it because it's significant. What the English believed at that point in history was that if your skin was black, you're an animal. So they got off that ship and they go, there's no one living here. It's just, just animals. We can have it. Now, how good is it being alive in 2018? I mean, technology. How good is technology? I saw this story recently about this one old lady. She was 100. And they talked about... Oh, she might have been about 104. And they did this story on her about all the things that have happened on the planet since she was born. Right? Toilets outside that get emptied by some lad on a horse, I think. I don't know. Some of you tell me you're... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> milk that got delivered. Electric... Like, telephones, computers, internet. Now, we're blessed. Life's never been easier. But in some ways, it's never been harder because those devices that make our life so easy are bombarding us day by day. We never get a break. Yeah? All day, every day, you're getting tweeted, beeped, notified. Now, there's going to be a lot of content this morning. It's a bit of... I'm an ex-school teacher. I spent two years as a high school teacher. And then in Victoria... Look, it's probably different in Queensland, but in Victoria, if you lock one misbehaving student in a cupboard for only one hour... Anyway. (laughs) It doesn't matter. But... I don't teach, but um, see, here's the thing, right? I know you take this information in. I know you do, but I wonder if because of the busyness of technology, whether we feel things the way we used to. Do you know what I mean? What I'm going to tell you now, I want you to really stop and absorb this and, and, and feel it. The English got off that ship and they go, there's only animals here, we can have it. Now, has anyone here ever spent time on a farm or a property where you've had a problem with rabbits or foxes? Or cane toads? <laughs> cane toads. What do you do with the cane toads if you've got a five iron in your hand? Uh, what do you reckon? What do we do with those, with those pest animals? What do we do with them? Kill them. What do you reckon the English did when they got here and they go, there's all these animals in the way, we need to, get, we need to farm here? What do you reckon they did? They actually employed people whose jobs were paid to hunt and kill Aboriginal people. Now, we hear these stories. 
I met a guy who works at Townsville. He's the music teacher there. His great-grandfather's job was to hunt natives in Tasmania. He's still got the permit. He's got the permit that says Joseph Smith is entitled to hunt natives. That's his occupation in Tassie. Over 200,000 people were murdered. They were shot, poisoned, marched off cliffs. My auntie Francie, she's 80. She lives in a retirement village in our hometown of Shepparton. Anyone heard of Shepparton before? Who's not heard of Shepparton? Anyone? Mate, are you from Marupna? Bras, you don't live there anymore, though. You get paroled, did you? Or? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mate, because Shepparton, where are we from, right? We just got voted the number one town in Australia for ice addicts and obese people. Um, <laughs> you guys thought it was Mackay, but no. Um, <laughs> Aunty Fran was telling me, see, Aunty Fran, her, her grandmother raised her, Nanny Teresa. Now, we look at, you know, I'll tell you the number one thing Aboriginal people hear all the time, right? Any, we got any black fellas in here today? Any Aboriginal people? How, tell me, how many times have you heard this? It was ages ago. Get over it. You ever hear that? Pretty much every day of your life. Arnie Fran was telling me that her nan raised her, remembered before whitefellas came here. So they got to Botany Bay in 1788, but it took them ages to spread out. In my auntie's living memory are first-hand stories of pre-white settlement. That's how recent this is. And her nan used to freak out because when she was little, the English would go to the communities, they'd get all the kids that were three or four and younger, They'd gather them together, they'd bury them in the dirt neck deep and they'd play polo and club the baby's heads off. Arnie Fran reckons that when they first saw the white fellas, they'd never seen a ghost before. Oh, they'd never seen a white person before, I should say, and they thought they were ghosts. Hey, anyone know how many Aboriginal people in Tassie survived settlement? None. Just for a minute, stop and really imagine, right? You're an Aboriginal person living in Tassie. You've never seen a white person before. All of a sudden, there's these ghosts everywhere and they've got guns and you've never seen one of them before. And all of a sudden, people are dying. And I don't just mean some people, I mean everybody you know till it's just you left. Over 200,000 people. So fill the MCG grand final day, double that crowd, fill Suncorp Stadium and put all those people together and that's how many people were murdered. So the first thing that happens is genocide takes place. Can we show that map, please? Second thing that happens is that people get made to be refugees. So here's the deal. Anyone seen this map before? Those little coloured areas are actually unique individual Aboriginal countries. So when you talk to people, they go, oh, no, tribes. No, they're not tribes. Have you all seen a map of Africa before? 53 different countries in Africa. I bet you the people in Ethiopia speak a different language to the people in Zimbabwe. You know why? Because they're different countries. Excuse me, darling, what's, what's your country? What country are you from? Grand Grand. Grand Grand, all right. So where's that near? What's... Maribor, okay. I bet you, I don't bet I know, my mob from Yorta Yorta country in the Murray River, we had a different language from you. We had different culture, different stories, different history. This instrument here was only ever found in the very northern parts of Queensland, NT and WA. You never would have seen one where I come from or where you come from. Tasmanian Aboriginal people had never seen a boomerang. A lot of differences between the people. So I'm an Aboriginal person living here. Jeff, Pastor Jeff, where's he gone? You're a settler. You want to live where I'm living. If you don't kill me, I've got to go live somewhere else. Now, that means I've got to become a refugee. Do I know the language in Wiradjuri country? No. Am I welcome there? Maybe. I heard a terrible story earlier this year. I was in Manjimup, which is in south of Perth by about two hours. It's Bibbulmun country. And the people in Bibbulmun country heard about a massacre that took place two hours up the road in Pinjarra, and they freaked out. They're like, we don't want to die. So they moved en masse into the next country. But the people there thought they were being invaded, and they killed them. Don't forget, we never had books, photo albums, videos, Bibles, encyclopedias. We had the land. Have you heard of a dreaming story? Seen a cave painting? Scar tree? Our connection to country. You guys hear about it all the time, but it's a significant thing. So when you kick us out of our country, you burn our Bibles, you set fire to our photos, and you destroy our videos. That's the best way to put it. 
So kicking us out of our country, really significant. First two things that happened. In the 1900s, we started to see a situation scale up. It had already been happening, but it really starts to scale up where you've got Aboriginal girls having babies with white men. Now, not all the time, but often, the English dudes would go to the communities, they'd find a girl they liked the look of, and they wanted them young, 12, 13, 14. They'd get them and cut their hair short, and that was so they could dress them up, pretend to be a boy, work on the stock run all day, not getting paid. At night, families being made, if you can understand what I'm saying. Now, remember how we said if your skin was black, you're an animal? So you've got a black mum, but you've got a white dad, so the kids are not going to be as dark in their skin tone as, as, the, as the parents, yeah? As the mum? And, and they call those kids half-caste. Just so you know, that's an offensive expression to us Aboriginal people. Don't use it. You upset people. All of a sudden, the government goes, them ones there, they're not total animals. We can salvage them. We can take them and teach them and make them be white. And that's how stolen generation starts. Have you all seen that movie, Rabbit Proof Fence? Yeah. If you haven't, you need to go and watch it. Again, oh, it was ages ago, brother. Get over it. I did an interview on Brisbane, on radio in Brisbane recently to promote the single. And the bloke who interviewed me off air goes, hey, Scotty, he was telling me that he, his name's Dan. Dan was the last stolen generation boy in Victoria's history and he's in his 30s. I've got my two closest cousins who are in their early 40s. One's 40 and one's 42. And they were taken from Shep to a boy's home in Box Hill and some horrendous things took place. There was segregation. Do you know what segregation is? They split races up. Happened a lot in America. We here in Australia, we were pretty moral because we refused to play cricket against South Africa for a really long time because of apartheid. But we were doing the same thing here. Did you know that up until the 50s, if you were an Aboriginal person, you lived on a mission? You all know about missions? My, my family grew up on a mission at a place called Kamaragunja. If you've seen that movie, The Sapphires, anyone seen The Sapphires? Our cousin Tony wrote that movie about our aunties. Auntie Fran, her sister, it's one of the Sapphires. Uh, Auntie Fran was telling me what it was like living on camera as, a, as, a, as an Aboriginal person. There was a lot of rules living on the mission. If you broke any of the rules, there's one standard punishment. You get flogged, you get beaten, even little kids. They used to beat them so bad they died. You weren't allowed to complain about anything you work six days a week you never got paid it's not like you could just leave if you wanted to even just go to the shops you had to have a note stamped and signed by the boss called a a notice of exemption to be allowed to leave the mission if you got caught doing anything aboriginal you get flogged in our country right our whole language gone we know a couple of words any of you blackfellas in here know how to speak your language no gone Whole, whole whole language gone when you go up to Cumbria Cemetery, you go and see Auntie Nan. Her, Auntie Fran, her mum, we called her Nan. She's like everyone's grandma. You know those ladies? She's an amazing lady. She died 14 years ago. When she died, she'd already been given the Order of Australia. Amazing woman. In Shepparton at the moment, there's an enormous mural being painted onto the side of a building of Nan Briggs. She changed a lot of people's lives. When she was a young mum on the mission, she had four of her children die when they were three or younger because they wouldn't call a doctor when they got sick. Not because they couldn't get help. And you go up to Camera Cemetery now and you see Nan's grave and there's four little baby white tombstones. And there's not some story out of a book. It's what happened to my family not that long ago. Do you know, when we officially became Australia, anyone know when we actually became Australia? When did that happen? 1901. And this is the stupidity of the Australia Day argument. Have you seen that there's a whole bunch of people want to start change the date of Australia Day? Have you seen that? Now, I'll be honest with you. For me... I love this country. I've toured America 20 times. I've been all over Asia. I've seen the world. And I'll tell you right now, this is the best country on the planet. I'm Aboriginal, but I'm Australian. And I want to have a day where I can celebrate how good this country is, man. I want to take my T-shirt off and wave it around the air. Australia! <laughs> Triple J! 
Actually, no, they can get stuffed. They don't play our music. Um, <laughs> you know what? January the 26th is never going to be that date because that's the date my ancestors and my family were murdered and raped. That is a day of sorrow. If you can't get your head around that from an empathy perspective, no drama. Because the truth of it is that we never officially became Australia till January the 1st, 1901. January the 26th, that's when Captain Cook goes, ah, it's the colony of New South Wales. You just want to have the colony of New South Wales Day, go at it. That's January, that's January 26th. When we became Australia on January the 1st, they wrote a set of laws. To this date, the law they wrote is the most powerful law we have. You've all heard of it. It's called the Australian Constitution. As much as the Americans would like to you to believe that they're the only ones who've got a constitution, we've also got one. When you read that document as they wrote it, and it never changed until 1967, can I please have a show of hands? Who was alive in 1967? Half this room. In your lifetime, my family were told that we were flora and fauna. That was the law. We were flora and fauna. You could be a migrant from Greece. You get off the boat. You had more human rights the minute your toe hit the deck. We weren't allowed to vote in an election. So the same-sex plebiscite that just happened, I wouldn't have been allowed to vote. We were denied the basic human rights, health care, education. World War II, Aboriginal soldiers who served and fought for the country, they saw every other soldier they served alongside of get given not only war medals, they got given houses. Imagine that is a free house. How deadly is that? Except the Aboriginal soldiers, you don't get one. No, you don't understand, man. That fellow, we're the same. We served in the trenches. We were next to each other. We shared a bunkhouse together. We kicked a footy together. When he got shrapnel in his leg, I took it out of his leg. I saved his life. We're the same. Where's my house? No, you don't understand. He's human. You're not. Anyone here an AFL supporter? AFL, put your hands up. You Don't be, t- don't be timid around these rugby flogs. <laughs> I mean, no, no disrespect, but I mean... Any game where you've got to put your face near some other dude's bum. Anyway, it's a terrible game. I digress. The team I go for are called the Geelong Cats, and their greatest ever player, arguably, is a man called Polly Farmer. If you go to Perth, you'll drive through the Polly Farmer tunnel. tunnel. Aboriginal ruckman, changed the way AFL was played. In 1963, Geelong won the grand final. They were the celebrated premiers, and they got invited to Parliament House to be celebrated. And when they got there, their great star player, Polly Farmer, was told, excuse me, but you can't go through the front door with your teammates. Please go around the back. 1963. I met a man a month ago in Mildura who's a police officer who was telling me that three years ago he was working at a country town in South Australia and a man walked into the cop shop and put a piece of paper down on the front desk of the police station three years ago and said, could you tell me, is this permit still valid? It was his grandfather's that said he was allowed to shoot one native a day that came onto his farm and that was dated 1952. Do you know that up until the early 1980s, school principals of government schools, not private schools, government school principals had the right and often did turn around, and I hate to tell you, Queensland, WA, worst two states, to turn around and go, we don't have Aboriginal children in our school, I'm sorry, but you can't enrol here. Wow. 35 years ago, you black folly turn up school, I'm going to learn how to read, Dr. Seuss, come at me. He's not coming at you. Hey, why do you reckon I'm telling... It's, pretty, it's a pretty negative history, isn't it? You've just gotten a short 10-minute history lesson. It's pretty negative, isn't it? Anyone feel a bit uncomfortable hearing all these things about your country that you're proud of? Anyone? Do you reckon I'm telling you this stuff because I'm an Aboriginal person and I'm bitter and I want you to know about it and stuff you're going to know? Do you reckon that's why I'm telling you? I'm telling you for one reason. Well, a couple of reasons, actually. But the main reason is this. Nothing on this planet ever happens because there's a reason for everything you ever see. Did you know that? Think about a homeless person. The other day I was at a restaurant having a feed with my family. We're at this restaurant in Melbourne in the city and I looked outside the window. There's an old lady on the footpath and she's about 65. She's broken down. She's, she's homeless. She's living on a cardboard box in a sleeping bag with her pet dog. 
It's raining. She's cold. People are trying to walk past her and she's abusing them for, you know, and they're abusing it. It's a whole situation was just a mess. And I looked at her and I had the weirdest thought. I thought, you know, not long ago, she was a cute little five-year-old girl. She's probably a little pigtail, like my daughter's. Dad gets home from work. She runs down the passageway. He cuddles her. Princess, I missed you. And then her life unfolds and things happen. And each time something happens, a part of her breaks. And all of a sudden she ends up there. I don't know what the things that happened were, but I guarantee there was stuff that happened. Do you know what I mean? It's always a reason. Today, that history lesson you've just gotten has meant that in 2018, we as Aboriginal people die 13 years younger than every other demographic. So my life expectancy, 13 years less yours, and that's from diseases that people in first world communities do not get. And suicide, biggest killer for young Aboriginal men, suicide. Do you know that on average, 65 to 70% of all Australian adults have finished year 12? So if you're walking down the main street of Cairns, you see 10 adults, seven of them have got the year 12. Four and a half percent of Indigenous adults have finished year 12. What can you definitely not do if you don't go to year 12? You can't go to uni. What jobs can't you do if you don't go to uni? Like what? Teacher, medicine, engineering, finance, government, lawyers, I usually at this point, and I don't have time to do it today, but usually I'd, I'd, I'd offer a free CD to anyone who can tell me three famous Aboriginal people who are famous for something that's not sport, music, art or acting. It's hard to do because we've got a whole generation of people, a whole race of people that have just been held down and denied opportunities so that they, those things haven't happened. Have you thought about role models? Anyone here got a role model in your life? Somebody that you've admired, looked up to, learned from? You should all have your hands up. The people that we grow up around and that we live around are our role models. They're good, they're bad, they're indifferent. Think about this, right? A little boy who is in a home where he witnesses domestic violence. You know what they say about those boys? What do they say about a little boy who witnesses domestic violence? Much greater chance of doing... Does that make sense to anyone? A five-year-old boy who's in his home, his safe place, and he sees some dude, maybe his dad, maybe not, smash into his mum, and he hears the sound of that fist... And he sobs silently under the bed because even though he's five, he wants to protect her. But the last time he tried to protect mum, he got flogged. So he sobs and he silently feels scared and angry and hurt. All these things. And he's firsthand experienced how horrendous that is. And yet that little boy who's lived through that tragedy knows firsthand how bad it is. He then does it to people that he loves later in life. Does that make sense to any person in this room? Pedophiles often are young boys who are abused. How does that happen? You're a little boy who knows how traumatic it is, but you then do it to somebody else knowing it'll ruin their life. I'll tell you why it happens. Because the stuff that happens to us and around us as kids and teens gets into us in a way that is almost impossible to shake. Right now, that history lesson you've just had, there's a generation of Aboriginal children growing up in your town who genuinely believe, if I don't get to play NRL or AFL footy, I have no future. Because the only role models they've ever known or been related to have ever escaped a generational poverty cycle have been footballers. Jeff, you mentioned that we went to the jail on Friday. We did that. You know why we did that? Because on average, Aboriginal children have a 10 times more likely chance of going to prison than finishing school. We played at Townsville Prison to 90 kids. All 90 were Indigenous. We make up 3% of the population. And these kids, just so you know, we hear these stories, oh, yeah, it's cushy for them. Mate, they're in a three-by-four cell. There's a perspex screen on the door that the guard can look through. So you're sitting on the toilet, girls as well, you're getting looked at. They're as young as 10. 
They get locked up from 7pm to 7am. They have breakfast, school all day, one hour of outside activity time after school. They finish school at 4.30. They have their dinner at 4.30 in the Arvo. They have a shower, put their pyjamas on, one hour of TV or movies the guard chooses. By 7pm, they're locked up. It is brutal. A lot of it is role models, right? It's just what I call expected patterns of behaviour. You've got little kids growing up who see mum and dad, uncle, auntie go to jail. That's just what happens. What's even worse is a lot of these Indigenous kids, if I'm honest with you, they get released and they deliberately re-offend to go back to prison on purpose. Because at home they're getting flogged. At home they're not getting a feed. At home they come from communities where sexual abuse is so bad in some of these communities that kids will actually go sleep in a safe house. Not sleeping at mum and dad's, they're in a safe house. No grown-ups are allowed. But even then, in the middle of summer, they will wear three pairs of jeans to bed. And they wet themselves on purpose so they stink. So that if somebody breaks into that safe house to rape them, boys as well, they've got a chance to fight their way out. You know what? I'm going to get caught breaking into that car. No one's going to get stuck into me for the next eight months. I don't know about you boys, but Friday, when we looked up in that second session and we seen those little 11-year-old boys in the front row, And then the most unfair thing about it is you don't get to choose where you get born. You know, this concept of I'm a proud Australian, not one of you had anything to do with it. You woke up and here you sit. Anyone feel good about this history or the resultant 2018 that we're living through? Anyone feel moved and motivated by this? Serious question, if you could fix it, if you could change it, would you do it? If you could be responsible for changing this, would you do it? Would you do it? Because if my job was to stand here and tell you all this negative stuff and then leave, right? If a manager says, see you later, bye-bye, this is it, I'm out. How depressing would my life be if I just talked about negative stuff all day, every day? We're the worst job in the world. I changed my name to Wayne Bennett. That's funny because he coaches the Broncos. Um, and we all know the Storm's the best. Um, oh, I'm sorry, they won the flag last year, didn't they? That's, you can't argue with fact people. Hey, I've got the best job in the world because I get to come here and I get to educate you. Because how many of you knew this history all in its connected way? The compound and the effect. Yeah, some of you. I've got the best job. I get to educate you. But then I get to actually offer you an opportunity to be a history maker who changes the country we live in. And you've all said you want to change it. So what I'm going to do now is if you've got a phone or an iPad or a pen or a piece of paper, please take it out. I want you to take some notes. I'm going to give you one word and I'm going to make you two promises. If you use this word every single day, I promise you will be a history maker and you will change the country that we live in. You will be a part of the solution. The second part of this promise is this. You will be happier. You'll have more contentment and more joy and less stress and less anxiety in your life. Anyone here want to be happier? Anyone want to be less stressed? Anyone want to have more joy? All right, you've got to write this word down. Here we go. For those who don't have pen and paper, just remember it. All right, the word you're going to write down in capital letters is flute. F-L-U-T-E, flute. Flute. It's an acronym. Stands for five separate words. F is for forgiveness. Be honest, anyone here ever had someone in your life who's done something to you real bad? They've hurt you, they've burned you, they've upset you. Not even a week later, sometimes years later, you remember the person and the thing they did to you. You get the knot in your stomach, you know the knot you get. You think, And you're thinking to yourself, if I see that fella in the street... I'm going to flog him with my didgeridoo and run real fast. <laughs> Anyone ever felt that burning anger? Raise your hand if you've ever had that burning grudge. So I can see. Right up, please. Oh, look at all these people sitting there going, I'm Jesus, I've never done it. <laughs> Mate, you still it after church around the coffee. She took the last coffee. <laughs> Cow. 
Mate, we've all held a grudge. Is that true? Fair to say? Hey, have you ever noticed how much God and Jesus, ever noticed how much Jesus goes on and on? Jesus bangs on about forgiveness. Have you ever noticed that? After the Lord's Prayer, he goes through all these things in the Lord's Prayer. There's a, like a mountain of content there. But the one thing he circles back around to re-emphasize at the back end of the Lord's Prayer is this. How do you expect your Father in heaven to forgive you if you can't forgive your brother here on earth? Do you know that? Hey, why does Jesus go on so much about forgiveness? Is it because he's an ogre? Nah. You know why Jesus bangs on about forgiveness? Because he loves you. Ever met an old person? Actually, not even an old person. Ever met a person? who's miserable, bitter, horrible, nasty to be around. Children, teenagers in this room, they probably teach you science. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I just struggle with science. My dad was always like, son, you've got to show initiative. And I did. I did my own experiments. Um, so when you take home Condi's crystals from the science lab and you want to see what it'll do to your neighbour's pool, um, it makes everything purple. And then what we found out from that experiment was that our neighbours were gangsters from the Fairfield market. We had to move, anyway, had to move house, but um, <laughs> Dad was not happy. You know, when you meet those old people, those miserable, bitter people, talk to them, and I guarantee you, ask them, they'll tell you everything anybody ever did to you. They store it up, carry it around. Unforgiveness is like a mustard seed. It takes a little seed here and it grows into a tree. Now, one of the things I'm learning more and more about from my Aboriginal elders, and this is going to get deep, but you've got to switch on here, we are spiritual beings, right? Your whole body regenerates by cells every seven years. The only thing that's the same is your spirit and your memories. Our brain was only ever designed to be a computer to translate your spirit. You ever felt something just and you know it in here? You hear about these women who go, I just knew my husband was cheating. How do you know? You just knew it in your spirit. You're a spiritual being. problem with unforgiveness is you take a seed and you put it in your spirit and it starts to own you and there's this spot in there where god put it there for you to carry around hope joy happiness and peace and you fill that space with cancer you've got to start forgiving the people in your world who have hurt you not to be the bigger person that's pathetic do it to be selfish because when you forgive the people that have wronged you you actually take that cancer you throw it away you don't wear it no more what i want you to do tonight go home get on your phone or your facebook or whatever Make a list of every person you've got even this much of a grudge against. Start with your family. I hate that person, that person. <laughs> Choose to forgive them. It's hard. Sometimes it takes months. This is how I forg- I often get asked, Scotty, how do you forgive someone who's really hurt you? This is how I do it. If you're like me, you'd be doing your day. Something reminds you of the incident that happened. For me, music's a big trigger. Cast a song come on the radio. Oh, she did the first. You have a thought, don't you? Here's your first thought. She did that. I'm so mad. But then you have a second thought. She did that. I'm so mad. Second thought. She's such a cow. Third thought, she's a fat cow. Fourth thought, she's a terrible mother. And before you know it, you've had thought to thought to thought to thought, and they're all negative and hateful. Anyone ever been in that spiral? Put your hands up, liars. Um, This is how you choose to forgive. Paul in 2 Timothy talks about taking every thought captive. She did that, I'm wild. You're going to have that first thought. That's okay, but stop. Don't let yourself have the second thought. This is what I do. She did that, I'm mad. I'm going to forgive her takes months sometimes and then what I do now what I do I actually say out loud five things I'm grateful for I'm grateful for steak I'm grateful for seafood I'm, day, I'm grateful for the first fellow who said let's have seafood on top of steak and call it surf and turf <laughs> whatever your thing is put good things in good things come out hey eh? forgiveness I promise you from my own life forgiving the people that have hurt me has been the best thing I've ever done
sets you free, gives you the most fullness and joy that God intended you to have. L stands for love. Now, anyone here, I, I'm going to just, I mean, we talk about love all day. I'll give you one example of love. Random acts of kindness. Go out of your way to show love for people that you usually might not. Anyone here ever done it? A random act of kindness? Nine years ago. I'm walking down the street in Nashville, Tennessee. I did a show the night before. I'd been given, I sold a lot of CDs, right? So I had a water cash this thick. This lady come up to me in the street. She's going, excuse me, could you spare some change? And I had a wad. I was like, I could. Now, in America, you don't want to pull the water cash out because you get shot. Put in my hand, pulled out the first bill I could. Now, over there, all their money looks the same. It's so stupid. I give her this note. It was a $20 bill. She thought it was a one. She's like, thank you so much. She walked off. A minute later, she comes running down the street. She's bawling her eyes out. She's grabbing me, hugging me. Thank you so much. I'm like, get off me. She goes, you don't understand. I'm homeless. And she and her friend had been living down by the river for three weeks, camped under a sheet of tarpaulin. She goes, I haven't had a shower for three weeks. I said, get off me. (laughs) And then she says, I have not seen my children for three weeks because I'm too ashamed of myself. But sir, you gave me $20. And we saved $20. And tonight we're staying at a motel for 40 We're going to have a shower, sleep in a real bed, and I'm going to see my children. Thank you so much for your generosity. Mate, I'll tell you the truth. That 20 bucks for me was nothing. I was on my way to McDonald's to smash it on a family box on my own. Why is that funny? The Big Macs go down, no worries. The two cheeseburgers struggle. The fries make you want to throw up, but you've got to push through. Um, that was nine years ago. I'll bet you any money, nine years later, I remember that 20 bucks way more than she does. Isn't it amazing when you go out of your way to show love for people, it blesses you more than them half the time. Look for opportunities. Look for opportunities to love people in your community, particularly your Indigenous brothers and sisters. And don't do it with an agenda. Don't do it to be a missionary who's going to save them. Just do it because Jesus calls us to love. You is for understanding. How many times do people act a certain way? You look at them and go, I can't stand that person. Anyone see three years ago, Adam Goods was getting booed when he played footy? Did you hear about that? You know how that started? He was playing footy versus the filth, Collingwood. And, um, and this 13-year-old girl, she, she leans over the fence, she calls him an ape. And he heard her, he stopped the game, got, got her removed from the MCG. And then all these people are like, oh, what a sook, it's just a word, get over it, you big sook. Boo. Made me wild when I heard people calling him a sook. But after a while, I realize it's not a bad thing because it allows you to have a conversation where you can bring understanding into that situation. So now when people say that, I go, hey, let's talk about it. Did you know that in 1770, they thought that if your skin was black, you're an animal? They believed it so strongly, they passed it into constitutional law. They believed it so strongly that they murdered over 200,000 people. They believed it so strongly that when they saw our women having their babies, they said we weren't fit to raise them because we were animals and they took those kids away. And did you know that because of that joined up compounded history, Adam Goods' mum's earliest memory was of being stolen, of being kidnapped. She was split from her siblings, taken from her mother. She was abused in all kinds of ways you guys will never hopefully know. In her teenage years, she ran away to find her mum. By the time she found her mum, her mum had died got no closure, never got to tell her she loved her. When you throw your face over the MCG and call Adam Goods an ape, you're not just throwing some word at him to put him off his game. What you're saying is all that pain, all that suffering, all that trauma and damage that not only your mother but your whole family have endured, nothing's changed. You're still filth. You're still an animal. You're still flora and fauna. You don't count. We don't care. Get stuffed. And that's why it's a big deal. Does that make sense? Be honest. Who has got a different opinion or attitude towards Indigenous people and issues now that you've met me today? Anyone? Yeah, that's what understanding does. Thank you. T's for tolerance. Tolerance is the ability to put up with things or people that upset or annoy you. 
Three years ago, there was a kid playing footy for Collingwood. His name's Marley Williams. Maybe four years ago, he plays for North now. He's from Albany, a small country town in WA, bottom of the corner, bottom corner. He goes home on the summer holidays to see his mates and his family. He's at the pub having a beer with his mates. He goes to the toilet, three bogans, see there's a Collingwood footballer in the toilet, and they went in and bashed him just to be heroes. He's cut, he's bleeding, he's bruised, but he gets out of there. And he has a response that we've probably all felt at times. Be honest if you've ever felt this way. You're wrong, I'm right, you're going to pay and I'm not going to back down. Anyone ever thought that? Yeah. Marley thought that. He left the pub and he knew that there's only one door in, one door out, and he waited for him on the street. See, the thing they didn't know about him is that he knows how to box. He knows how to box. And they come outside, these three fellas, he's waiting, and he flogged them. He didn't just flog them, he flogged them. Broke one of their jaw in three spots. CCTV camera captures the whole thing. He nearly goes to prison for two years. It was only that Collingwood's president, Eddie Maguire, stumped up the money for a Queen's Council. Ten grand a day. You or me, we're doing two years prison. Now, here's a kid who spent his whole life working for one thing, to play at AFL footy. So when his mates were going and partying, he was running up and down sand dunes. When his mates were eating KFC, Zinger, Bacon and Cheeseburgers, because they're flipping awesome, uh, he was eating lettuce leaves. He sacrificed an enormous amount to get drafted in the AFL, but it paid off. He's playing for the biggest club in the land. Anzac Day, he's in front of 90,000 people. He's making $300,000 a year. Six grand every Friday, he hits his bank. He takes his T-shirt off. He's an AFL player. His Tinder explodes. That's a joke for the young people. Um, He's living the dream. All of a sudden, somebody does something where he goes, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm not backing down, you're going to pay, and he nearly throws away everything he spent a lifetime working for in two minutes. Is there anyone in this room who thinks it's worth it? When you show tolerance, what you're choosing to do is forgive somebody immediately. You don't let it build up. You don't let it own you. You don't let it take that part of your soul. You turn around and go, you know what, I know you're wrong, but I'm such a big person, I don't need to prove it. I'm just going to forgive you. I'm going to walk away. I wonder how many marriages could be saved in our communities from people who had a bit more tolerance with each other. How many businesses could flourish? E, this is my favourite one, E stands for empathy. How would I feel if it was me? Do you know the whole life of Jesus Christ was about empathy? Did you know that? He literally came to earth as a human and empathised with us. Put himself in our shoes. Serious question. What do you reckon our society would be like if every single person that you knew showed 10% more fluke to every person they met? Better or worse? All right, here's the last reason you've got to do it as I invite the band back up here. I'm going to sing one song as we close. I'm desperately trying to finish on time. My favourite scripture, Matthew 22. Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees. And they say, hey, teacher, what's the most important commandment in the whole Bible? And they're trying to get him killed with a trick question. And he looks at me and he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Now, whatever you believe, right, these Pharisees, they might not have believed that in their hearts, that it was to love God, but they had used that commandment to extort, to manipulate and to rip people off for thousands of years. So once he says that, he's got them. But then Jesus says this amazing thing. He goes, the second is like it. What I'm about to tell you is as important as loving God. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. The most important commandment in the whole Bible is to love the Lord your God and the second is as important. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. And then he says, just to hammer it home, all the other words of all the other prophets and all the other commandments hang on this. You know, I meet Christians who mean so well all the time and they're trying to run around and tell the world how to live. I mean, I don't want to get too political on you, but this same-sex plebiscite was a great example. That did so much damage to the name of Jesus. 
No, we're going to tell you how to live. You know what? God gave us right. I'm not, going to, I'm not arguing either way here. I don't, I'm not pro or anti. But my point is this. When I first met my wife, I fell in love with her the day. I, I, honestly, four days in, I knew I wanted to marry her. I fell in love with her the minute I saw her. She's the most amazing human being God ever breathed into, air into. And I, oh, man. Two weeks later, she, she looked at me. She goes, listen, when you bite your nails, it makes me want to spew. And I will never kiss you until that stops. Mate, I'll tell you the truth, I stopped biting my nails that day. Um, but it was not because I knew she... Because uh, I wasn't because I thought she wouldn't kiss me, because I, I knew she couldn't hold out. Um, hey, don't tell her I said that. Um, here's the thing, I, I loved her. I loved her passionately and deeply two weeks. And I knew something about my character displeased her, and I just wanted to change because I loved her. All we're called to do is to love every single person around us as we love ourselves, God will get them to stop biting their nails. That's his job. So I want to promise you guys, if you show 10% more flute to every person in your community, every single person, be intentional about it, you will be a history maker. It is, it's, you'll find opportunities to change the narrative for Indigenous people in this country. It's like when your wife looks at you and she goes, I really want to get a toy out of Hilux. And you don't know what that is, but then after she says that, you see him every five seconds. I promise you also that if you show 10% more flute to every person you meet, you will be happier. You'll have less stress, less anxiety and more joy. If you don't, if you try it dead set for a month and you honestly have the best crack at it ever and a month later you're still not feeling the change, send me an email. I'll send you a free CD. I'm dead serious. Send me an email. If it doesn't work, send me an email. I'll send you a free CD. That's how confident I am. The last thing I need to mention, can we go to that World Vision page, please? I'm a spokesman for World Vision. You all heard of World Vision before? Three years ago, they rang me up. I oh, know, about five years ago. They go, Scott, we'd like you to be a World Vision artist. I was like, what's that? They go, you use your music and your profile and you raise money for World Vision's programs around, you know. And I said, get stuffed. I don't want to do that. They go, what? I said, well, that's great that you're doing things for Africa. What are you doing for my family? What are you doing for my people? They go, we've been in Aboriginal communities for over 20 years, Scott. I'm sorry. They just don't talk about it because it takes 20 years to develop trust and relationships. And now they're talking about it. I know a lot of you probably sponsor kids overseas, and that's amazing. I do too. I've got a Watoto child. But I would love for you to come to that back table today and commit to sponsoring World Vision's Australia program. It's a, it's a program helping kids get through school so that in 10, 15, 20 years' time, we've got little kids growing up going, I'm going to go to school because that's what cousin does. I'm going to go to school because that's what uncle did. So come and see me. Sign on to World Vision today. Mate, don't, don't think about it. Just come and do it. It's a dollar a day. Like, honestly, it's not even a coffee a day. It makes a huge difference.